0: You're listening to Fire Ecology Chats, a podcast series by the Association for Fire Ecology. Hello,
1: everybody. My name is Bob Keene. I am the editor of the journal Fire Ecology. Uh, it is a bringer publication, but it is wholly owned by the Association for Fire Ecologists. This podcast is to get everyone uh, familiar with a new paper that just came out. Today, we are very lucky to have three guests that are going to talk about a very exciting paper that we just published in Fire Ecology. We have Scott Stevens, Alexis Bernal, and Les Hall. I'd like each one of you to introduce yourself and your affiliation, and Scott, we'll start with you.
2: Hello, everybody. My name is Scott Stevens. I'm a professor of fire science at the University of California, Berkeley, very interested in fire and ecosystems. And Lex, how about you?
0: Hi, I'm Lex Bernal and I am a research assistant at the University of California, Berkeley Stevens Lab.
3: And Les. Hello, my name is Les Hall and I am part of the Mountain Mighty Tribe of Plumas County.
1: Wonderful. Okay, the paper we're gonna be talking about today is degradation and Restoration of Indigenous California Black Oak Stands in Northern Sierra Nevada. Incredibly important in today's environment, recognizing indigenous people. So uh, Scott, could you give us a quick rundown of what the paper is all about?
2: Yes, you know, it's an area of Meadow Valley, California, private land, and also the Plumas National Forest in the northern Sierra Nevada. It's an area that we've been teaching in at our UC Berkeley Forestry Summer Camp for at least 10-15 years. 2009, a small wildfire burn called the Silver Fire. And after that, we were able to access it and actually do some work in a kind of a moderate severity area looking at regeneration, fuel loads, mortality. Um, the forestry summer camps for years and years were actually doing plots there. And then lo and behold, a few years later, I was able to find a fire history sample from an old ponderosa pine stump in the vicinity that was just remarkable. At least it looked remarkable from the outside and we collected the entire stump. We didn't have a chainsaw, so three of us actually carried it down the hill to the truck. And shortly after that, the 2021 Dixie Fire burned the whole area and a lot more. Of course, the Dixie Fire burned close to a million acres. So when we started to look at the response after the fire, we saw tremendous California black oak regeneration from sprouting. And then I started to wonder about just the site and maybe its history, looked at the fire history sample, we could talk about that later, what it told us, but then wondered about the Mount Maidu and their stewardship of the land here. And then we started to think about talking to Les Hall and trying to get us some ideas of Mount Maidu stewardship. Of course, native people, indigenous people were incredible stewards of the land, continue to be incredible stewards. So that started the whole project.
1: Yeah, that's really exciting. So so there was a bio history study. Could you tell us about the results
2: what you learned about past fires? Yeah, the fire history study was done on one sample, which is not a robust number. All you fire historians out there used endocrinology, of course. But it was a sample that was remarkable in the number of external fire scars. And when the sample was collected and processed at the Forest Service PSW Reading Silviculture Lab, we found that 11 fires on that one sample had an interval of five years or less and a whole bunch of other intervals below 10 years. After just thinking about that a short time, there is no way that we're getting lightning fire at periods two, three, four, five years right here in Meadow Valley on the edge of a nice meadow. I think that was one of the first things that just got a light bulb went off. This has to be indigenous management because of just this incredible, frequency of fire here. One interval detected in the stump was two years, two hmm. year interval. So I think the sample itself just told us about a remarkable history and it was a long history too. It actually, the, the tree died before colonization. So the tree actually was alive during Mountain Maidu stewardship and died before any white or Euro-American influence.
1: Wow, two year fire return, that's amazing. Les, how about talking about the indigenous use of this area and how they use fire?
3: Well, uh, throughout the entire region of uh, Mountain Maidu homelands, the use of indigenous fire has been practiced throughout all of our, our history. Our history, our verbal history that we've passed down, that has been passed down through through generations, has always talked about us being in this area, never actually coming from a different area. We've always been here and we've always practiced the techniques that sustain this bountiful life in this area and the practice of of continued fire has always been part of the landscape with respect to the health of the environment the diminishing of fuel loads, the creation of visual perspective for, uh, for roaming, for suppression of animal and, and, and maybe attacks by other tribal people. It's, it's just always been a part of our history. So to have this particular study confirm what we had always known to be true with respect to continuous fire being on the land and the fact that this particular stump showed multiple times when fire was was put on the land and the, and the tree continued to live and grow throughout all of those different fire presentations just showed the fact that the fire was never to the point of killing that, that tree or other trees in the area. So it, it was meant to be something that continued over and over throughout time. And it just proves what our oral history has actually talked about to us with respect to the continued use of fire to create a better living environment. So I, I was, I was just really happy. That Scott got me involved in this particular project.
1: Yeah, thanks for that. That's really interesting. So fire exclusion served to degrade the area of its ecological legacy, but Lex, part of the title suggests restoration. And so I was wondering, what were your uh, ideas on how to restore this area?
0: Yeah, so what we know is that in the absence of fire, conifer encroachment on oak woodlands can be pretty detrimental to sustaining oak populations, especially when we consider the amount of shade tolerant conifers that have proliferated under fire suppression and can pretty effectively outcompete oaks for light. So we wanted to look at conifer competition historically using these historical timber surveys and then also when black oaks, you know, dominated these landscapes. And how conifer competition today has changed um, using some FIA data and what that means for black oak management specifically. And so, what we found was that when black oaks dominated these landscapes, they likely thrived when conifer competition was low. And we measured that competition using relative stand density index, which is a pretty common method to use to quantify competition across different stands. And so, what we found that generally less than 35% relative stand density index where these sites are considered as either partially or completely free from conifer competition. And then these oaks would exist in those stands at really high densities and would be very large in terms of tree size. And so this is a stark contrast to today's conditions where we find that there are very high levels of conifer competition. So sites that are experiencing either full conifer competition or experiencing what we call the zone of imminent mortality. But that's essentially when density-dependent mortality processes start to take hold. And so we found that these sites actually have the smallest black oaks and also the lowest density of black oaks. And so what this means in terms of management is that conservation or restoration of oak woodlands would require substantial decrease in conifer competition requiring necessary treatments like mechanical thinning and prescribed fire. And not only does this help you know, sustain oak populations, but there are obvious other beneficial byproducts of these sorts of treatments, right? Fuel hazard reduction, resiliency to disturbances, also extraction of cultural resources and, and things like that. Also, oak woodlands are a very important habitat type for many different aspects of wildlife. And so I guess while these fires you know, like the Dixie Fire, have caused a substantial amount of damage to conifers. Hearing about these black oaks resprouting, you know, when Scott saw them out in the forest and seeing really how they're thriving after these fires, it kind of provides a little bit of a silver lining because I think that it shows that we have this opportunity to set these forests on a different trajectory than they were already heading. And so we have an opportunity here to restore these Oak woodlands that were once such a beautiful and important component of the California landscape.
1: Thanks for that. Scott, we'll go to you now. Doing something for these black oak woodlands is probably really important in view of climate change, don't you think, is to make them more resilient and resistant to future disturbances. So I wonder if you could speak on that subject.
2: No, that's a great point. And as we get warmer and we get drier, we also get more variation in our precipitation levels. I think more areas dominated by oaks and maybe low-density conifers is probably a perfect thing to think about. They're going to be more able to deal with those new environments, you know, drier conditions, more variation, also have the ability maybe to provide cultural resources and other things to people. So I think one part of the scenarios, let's describe, you know, high conifer density, more competition, more vulnerability, if we can maybe work with these stands to promote oaks and actually grow oaks at larger sizes, with some conifers interspersed, but a minor component, I think that's actually a really nice recipe for a lot of Western forests, particularly ones that are more on the drier end and probably make sense for the future.
1: Great. Les, I'm going to go to you. Do you have anything else to say about the future of this area considering indigenous cultures?
3: Well, I think... My direction has a connection a lot to what Lex talked about with regard to the density of these oak stands. For his historical perspective, the oaks were a major part of the nutrition source of the Mountain Maidu people and a lot of other tribal people throughout California. And that's very tuned into what we would have seen As far as the landscape in pre-colonization days where the the oaks were actually farmed, taken care of, the amount of pines and firs were minimized to promote the, the growth of the oak trees for the acorns because they were such a big part of our diets along with the animals that also feed off of the acorns. And the predators that feed off of all of those animals. So it was it was an environment that was very much shaped by the people who lived on the land and were part of the environment. They they were assisting the environment in creating a, a food source that was always going to be available to them, no matter what type of weather patterns may. Have existed, whether they were very rainy seasons or very dry seasons, which have been documented throughout history in this area, there were always going to be acorns available. And all of the animals that took advantage of those acorns, including the human animals, would always have that food source available. So there was an active role in promoting the growth of those, uh, of those oak trees for that acorn harvest every year. So now we think we might have this opportunity to take what has become of these huge fires in recent years, as has been pointed out, the opportunity to give a direction away from these mixed conifer forests more in line and in tune with the oaks that would certainly thrive and be more adaptable to the environment in so many different ways. It's very good to hear that that's, that's an opportunity that's being, that's being looked at and decided what to do for that specific type of growth pattern. A lot of the other plants that were used for cultural cultural needs and necessities are also something that depend on fire, the unfortunate thing with, with catastrophic wildfire is that that upper layer of layer of ground soils can certainly be really harmed. So it's gonna take some time for some things to come back. And and even though we've had this catastrophic wildfire, this especially the Dixie fire, the shrubs and the the bushes that will come back in full force, and that's not necessarily a good thing. So it's going to have to continue to be something that that we talk about and that we try to implement all, all the time uh, about prescribed fire and, and trying to put back this good fire on the land to promote uh, a much better environment habitat for everything.
1: Well said, thank you, Les. Lex. Lex. I'd like to end with you. Do you have anything else you'd like to say about the paper or recognize other co-authors?
0: Yeah, I would like to recognize a couple of other folks who worked on this paper with us. Brandon Collins, who's also from the University of California, Berkeley, and then also Connor Stevens, who helped a lot with the analysis for the um, localized stand structure and composition following the Dixie Fire. And yeah, I want to say that this paper was really eye-opening for me in terms of understanding really the, the detrimental effects of fire suppression on California black oak woodlands. And also to recognizing that there is a lot of opportunity here to restore those oak woodlands. We have the knowledge that we can leverage because we know what makes black oaks successful. You know, that knowledge has been there for thousands of years. And now we have an opportunity to utilize that to help restore uh, such an important part of the landscape.
1: I'd like to thank all three of you for a wonderful podcast. This has been great. For the rest of you, please download this paper. It's free from the Fire Ecology website and learn all about this study. Thanks again, everyone. And we'll see you at the next Fire Ecology Chats.